0: Welcome to Grace Point. Welcome uh, online if you're joining us online, but glad to have you in the room. I've been away for a while. My name is Mike, if we haven't met, and uh, glad to be back. We just came back from seven days as a family, Uh, 13 of us, if I'm counting all correctly, uh, together, eating, sleeping, doing life together. That is either a recipe for disaster or uh, memories to be made. Uh, It could either be the Oprah Winfrey Show, where you have great tears and memories you share, or it could be the Jerry Springer Show, where everything breaks into a big fight. Well, the good thing is Jerry didn't show up, so we had a great trip, and it was awesome to be there. It was our first time uh, to go, and our promoted status. Lori and I have been promoted Uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I know we've mentioned it before, but our family, 2020 for all of us, stunk, okay? It was in the the tank. It was a dumpster fire. 2021 has been an incredible year. Our family has experienced tremendous blessings. Blessings like this. Our family is growing 53% this year, all right? Just last month, We married off our final one, uh, our last one, our baby. We got a raise out of the deal. He moves out of the house off of our payroll. That's a good day, obviously. Plus, we got an incredible daughter-in-law in in MMA Jenkins, and so we're so glad to see them them married and together. But also, our other son uh, has moved back. Our second-born Caleb has moved back with his wife Michaela to the area for a while, and they're bringing into this world, or the Lord's helping to bring into this world through them, a baby in November. So again, we're going to be grandparents times three because in February of this year we became we got our promotion. This is the promotion I'm talking about to being from parent status to grandparent status. That is a beautiful thing, my friend. You don't need to rush it. Don't hurry up and get there. But when you get there, those of you who have experienced grandparent status, that status change, you will know what I'm talking about. And we just were able to spend some days with our grandchildren and uh, spend some vacation days with them. In fact, I don't even know. I'm so new at this within the past months of being a grandparent. I don't know what it means to be a grandparent. Uh, I, I, I think I know, but I don't know that I know. So last night I googled what does the word grand mean. You just put it in parents, grand. What does it mean? These are some of the phrases that come up. Uh, the most important parent. So I will take that. Uh, I'm the most important parent. I'm the awe-inspiring, grandiose, marvelous, noble parent. I'm the one who's the noble parent. So that's what it means to be a grandparent right there. Splendid, uh, stately, uh, never said that about myself, but that's what I am now. Uh, and so when you think about being a grandparent, again, what are the roles? It's different than being a parent. Parenting, you're preparing. I say it like this. Grandparent, you're pampering. Parenting, you're preparing. Two Ps there, okay? Just You should change hats, change roles. You're pampering, you're spoiling, you're, you're loving them. You're called up on. Not, you don't volunteer your advice. When called up on, you give it, okay? Uh, you volunteer it. At that, uh, you, you're, you're, you're available for them to pamper those kids and send them back home. When you are parenting, it's a totally different role. You are preparing them for life. You are preparing them for the realities of life. You're preparing them for the next generation. You're trying to equip them with truth and good morals and so many things that you can can put into that preparing them. That's why we as a church, as Grace Point, we highly put energy and attention and focus and resources into having a quality preschool, a quality elementary, a quality student ministry because we believe in it. In fact, we'll say this, if you're a member of Grace Point, every member's a minister, uh, every ministry is meaningful, we think serving in those areas is the most noble thing you can do um, to help the next generation prepare. Intentional parenting, intentional grandparenting, is what I would see as a biblical model for parenting. When you look at Abraham, and he was deeply concerned. And we shared about this a few weeks, deeply concerned about Isaac and who he married. What does he do? He was very intentional about where his future daughter-in-law came from, what she believed, what she was a part of. And so he intentionally steers uh, the Eliza to, to help find a bride for his son. That's how important it was, okay? Very intentional parenting there. When you look at David, David's very intentional with his life to think about the next generation. That when he left, he made sure the resources were in place that the temple of God would be built. They would no longer meet in a tabernacle. They would meet in a temple. And David set things in place. Before Paul was martyred in the faith, he made sure the next generation pastors were ready. He made sure young Timothy, the last two letters that Paul wrote was to a guy named Timothy who would succeed Paul in the ministry and prepared him. And he told him, Timothy, preach the word. So there's intentionality about parenting, about leading, about preparing the next generation. Now, why do I say all this? Because we're gonna look today at a family, in the book of Genesis chapter 27, so you can be finding that, that models everything dysfunctional possible, okay? Uh, this is, you think your family's bad, look at today's example, and you'll go out here thinking, I got the best family since sliced bread. You know, this is, my, my family is solid compared to this family. And so when you look at 20, chapter 27 of Genesis, we're going to look at the family of Isaac, now, Isaac himself, I think, had some real problems. And again, I'm not picking on Isaac. I don't know that I'm better than Isaac. But when you read about Isaac and his love, his partial love that he had for one son, and you see Rebecca, her partial love she had for the other son, you see that there's some, there's some family dynamics, there's some dysfunctionality, there's some partiality that's going on in that family that is going to stay with it and also affect it. In chapter 25... Two chapters prior to chapter 27 will be. This is what it says. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his meat, his game, his food, the way he prepared it. But Rebekah loved Jacob. There's a little bit of favoritism going on here. But I want you to notice, why does Isaac love Esau more? Because he ate his food. It was a self-centered motive. He favored the son because of what the son could give him. That's not healthy. A very self-centered parenting, that's not a healthy model. And when I think about Esau, I think about he probably would have a green egg if he was living today. He would probably take slow-mo Instagram footage of him smoking his meat. He was a meat master a guy. He, he, this guy, he's that guy, you know, that guy, you have friends like I have that guy on Instagram, you know, so this is that guy. He loved his meat. He prepared his meat. He cooked his meat. His dad loved his meat. That was that kind of two chapters later. What is Isaac pointing to again? Food. There's something about Isaac that he was driven by his belly. The God was his belly. He wanted more food. He wanted Isaac. He wanted uh, Esau's food. It was was a part of it. So let's look at chapter 27 of of, of Genesis. Continuing our study since the first of the year through Genesis. What a journey this has been. But this is what it says. Isaac is up in years, but notice the focus. Notice the self-centeredness. Notice, again, his intentional parenting was intentionally taking care of himself. Chapter 27, verse 1 says, And Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. So now he's not able to see so well, not able to see as well, so he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. He answered, Here I am. He answered, or he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So he's literally playing the old person card. Hey, I don't know how much longer. You remember that great brisket you made? Would you just take your broken egg and go smoke another brisket for me? This is all my interpretation, okay? Now that, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go to the field and hunt game. He wants wild game. He wants the special stuff brought in. And prepare for me focuses on me. Prepare for me delicious food that I love and bring to me so that I may you see the self centeredness parenting that's going on here. This is not model parenting that my soul may bless. You before I die. Now, I don't have time to unpack the blessing. What is this blessing, this this uh, this mystical blessing that's out there? Because you're going to find it throughout Genesis, but we don't want to miss it. We're going to spend an entire message later on this fall dealing with just the blessing. Nobody needs to leave their home without the blessing. I'll just tease you with that statement. And here it is. He's saying, listen, if you'll bring me, my favorite me, you prepare it, you take care of me I'll give you the blessing. That's the kind of leverage that he's playing out here. And whenever you look at this, again, I want to reemphasize that this family had some struggles. Isaac has a problem with self-centeredness. He had a problem with his appetite. All he was wanting to feed is his stomach. Rebecca had a problem with envy. We're going to see that played out here in just a few moments. She really was envious, jealous of Um, uh, of where that blessing went to the point that her envy will actually become a polluted water inside of her soul. That when you go to the end of chapter 27, I don't have time to develop this. I'm just going to pop this verse up on the screen because for some people, this verse may resonate with them or this verse, you know, somebody that this is the, the verse of their, of their, their life verse. They may not know it. It's even in the Bible. But this is their life first. Rebecca said to Isaac, I am sick of my life. Just let that sink in a little bit. I'm sick of my life. So Rebecca's struggling here. Rebecca's struggling throughout this chapter. You got... Appetite serving, self-serving dad, narcissistic dad over here. You got, you got Rebecca over here who's gonna get envious and jealous and, and gonna play that card and it's gonna distort the bloody, muddy the waters of her own soul. You got Jacob, whose name means deceit, but he's literally going to act out in deceitful actions. Esau, oh my gosh, this guy's gonna struggle with anger and malice and revenge. You're gonna see at the end of this message, wow what he feels inside of his heart, if he doesn't get that under control, it's going to be a mess. This is the family. Welcome to the family that we're dealing with in Genesis chapter 27. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, so please do not raise your hand. How many of that I just described to your family? The brokenness that can be there. Maybe you'll substitute different struggles because we all struggle. And we all bring our struggles to a struggling home, to a struggling family? How are you going to deal with that? Are you going to lean in to that struggle? Are you going to lean away from it and ask God to help you and guide you through that? But when you see this unfolding here, Rebecca hears... Here's Jacob talking to Esau, sending him to the field to go get the food for him. This is what Rebecca does as she's leaned her ear up against the wall to listen to that message. She says and now in verse 5, and Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau so that when Esau went to the... Uh, went to the field to hunt for the game and to bring it. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare it for me, uh, prepare, prepare me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. So basically gives the plan. How does that wrong? She's just informing brother. No, she takes that, and that envy takes over because now she starts planning. We're going to do something. We're going to trump this. We're going to step in front of this. We're going to scheme. We're going to connive. We're going to deceive. We're going to get in front of this, and we're going to steal the blessing. Again, that prized thing that's out there that, that everybody wants is that blessing. We're going to get in front of the whole thing, and we're going to steal it. That's verse, uh, uh, verse through verse 7. Now, skip down to verse 9. Go to the flock and bring me. Now, d- go out in the barnyard. Brother's gone to the field to get the wild game. You go out into the barnyard. Now, go out in the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare them. From them. Notice the emphasis. Who prepares it? Rebecca's going to prepare it. You go get the goats. I'll prepare it. And then you can take it to your father such as he loves. So there's the scheme. There's this plan. There's this racketeering going on here. Two people coming together. They're conniving up. How are they going to steal the blessing away? And she's going to send him to get two young goats. Now that's important because if you're an older man, you can't see, you probably don't have all your teeth in that day and age. So you don't need tough meat. You don't need mature meat. You need soft, young goat meat, okay? And so he's gonna, she's going to make sure it's prepared exactly like her husband likes it. She's going to make sure everything is in order. You see the deception? And if you wanted to outline this entire chapter, you could look at it like this. Chapter 27, verse 14 to 29. excuse me, verse 5 to verse 13, there's the scheme, there's the planning, there's the the, the plotting that they're going through. They're they're getting ready for it. There's nothing executed on. At any point, they could stop it. At any point, they could say, you know what? This is wrong. We need to get off this bus. You know what? We need to think differently. We need to have different feelings. No, no, no. They're planning it at this point, and then you see the execution of it from verse 14 to verse 29. So they're going to play it out. And we're going to get to see it played out. But here's what I want us to understand about lying. Lying is not just me telling a little fib. Like your kid might tell you he cleaned the room or she, 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 she didn't paint your brother or something like that. Lying like that. No, 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 no. We're talking about there are so many multifaceted ways that we can lie. In a matter of 10 minutes, this is my list. I challenge you to think of your own list. Maybe you take my list and add to it. In fact, if you're in a small group, one of the things I've asked you to do in your small group this week is long list. Make a master list of as many ways as you can think about, uh, about scheming, lying, deceiving, manipulating, all these ways that we can do it. Because if you look up there, disinformation, misinformation, that's rampant in this fake news world that we live in, this post-truth world that we live in. You, you look up there and you, you find manipulation where I'm going to do something to get something from you that will benefit me. Whether it hurts you or helps you or whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to manipulate the circumstances of the city or omission of truth. I know truth, but I'm not going to give truth, so I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to hold it back. That's a form of deception. That's a form of lying. Whenever you minimize something, something is above the line wrong, and you minimize it and bring it down. Oh, everyone's doing this. Everyone's doing this. uh, We ought to be able to do this where it's natural. I mean, we start lying to ourselves. We start bringing that, that offense below the line when actually it should be above the line. When we're minimizing, so when we're posing, we're pretending to be some body we're not, something We're not. We'll talk about that again in just a moment. We cover over the truth. Uh, one person uh, called this burying the truth. You might bury an expense, an expense report that nobody's going to see because they're going to audit line by line. You might bury your hours in there, and maybe they're not going to audit your hours. You might bury something else in, in some kind of spreadsheet that, hey, I told you it's there. You didn't find it, so therefore it's not on me. That's a lot of the way people cover the truth. Conspiracies? Oh my gosh, this world is full of conspiracies. What if we made one up? What if we bought into one? What if we added to one? Again, these are all forms of lying and deception that are just rampant in our day and age. And we have to be very cognizant of it because we will be sucked into it. And so what you find in the following verse, in verse 10, he says, you shall bring to your, your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. This is the plan, Jacob. And what happens next is Jacob has every opportunity to say, Mom, no. Mom, no. This is not right. We're not going to do this to Dad. But he doesn't. He leans in. So I want to give you three truths about lies. Three truths about lies. One truth is that lies are generationally transferred lying becomes a trait that becomes a generational trait that you do because you saw it done, because you experienced it. it, happened to you. And so therefore it becomes a part of our psyche, our development, our way of thinking that this is the way you do. You go along to get along. You, you gotta do this to get ahead. Everyone else, it happened to me, so therefore it's gonna happen to you. And so we kind of believe it's, it, it happens that way. It happens family-wise, Mother, the authority figure in this relationship, Rebecca is training her boy how to lie. Let that sink in. Training him how to lie. Later on, he's going to get married and he's going to fall in love and he's going to fall in love with a lady named Rachel, but his father-in-law-to-be is going to switch brides at the altar. He's going to be lied to. Again, he's going to be deceived by his older generation, by his mother, by his older generation, by his father-in-law. And he's going to think himself, no wonder Jacob is the deceiver because he has been trained by the generation, those who hold the authority, those who are supposed to model the character. He's being trained that way. Here's what parents, grandparents, noble parents, character, our character is caught by our children more than it is taught to them. Get that down. They catch it. We can say, do as I say, not as I do, all day long, but they see it. They smell it. They take it on. I was dealing with talking with a young man one time. And the, the way I can say it in the most brief way, he was dealing with some real struggles as a father wound. He grew up in a very successful family with very, all the toys, all the bells and whistles. Everything was polished and shined, and everything was right in order. And Dad loved his stuff and loved his money. And the way he loved his money so much, he figured out as many ways as he could save some money for himself, and that's one of the ways he was as wealthy as he was. And he would do the littlest things. He taught his boy how to go to the lumber yard, a lumber yard that the people trusted him. Go in and pay for 10 two-by-fours, but when you're in the backyard picking up the two-by-fours, throw two or three more on the back of the truck. Who's going to miss three two-by-fours? Taught him how to go to a movie theater. When you go to the movie theater, he said, hey, we're going to the movie theater. When you're 13, you have to pay adult prices, but when you're 12, you, have to, you get the child's price. If you'll say you're 12 when you're actually 13 and 14, then we'll get the child price, and when we go in, I'll buy you some popcorn. Sounds like a winner, right? Or it sounds like a character development that's happening. See, it's generationally passed down. But this is exactly what Moses was talking about in chapter 34 of, of Exodus, chapter 6 to 7. He said, or verse 6 to 7, he said, The Lord pass before him and proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Whoever tells you that God is some angry God with a lightning bolt ready to strike you down, take him to that verse right there. His love is steadfast. It's abounding. He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's merciful. But does he tolerate sin? Does he tolerate lies? Keeping steadfast I lost a thousand forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins and but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the fourth generation means basically when I take on a pattern of sin, it is just as easy for me to pass that down to the next generation, for, for Jordan to pass it down than to James and Salah, and for James and Selah to pass it down. It becomes that transfer happens so much easier because they have been raised to think that that's just the way you do it. It happened in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You start with Abraham, the patriarch of patriarchs. He lies about Sarah being his wife no less than two times. That characteristic comes into, who's next? Isaac. Isaac's family. He and Rebecca live, and we're looking at one of the passages today, a a marriage of deceit back and forth. Which then goes to the next generation, Jacob. Jacob's going to take it on and we're seeing again the fleshing out of Jacob living out lies. We saw it last week when what Devin shared with you. We're seeing it this week. We just see the reality that lying is a part of Jacob's life. Jacob's sons, he's going to have 12 sons. One of those sons is his favorite son, Joseph. We'll talk about Joseph later on. But when you think about this, he had all these sons, and these sons could not stand Joseph. They called him names. They picked on him. They decided they were going to kill him, or at least act like they killed him. They actually sold him, trafficked him put him in trafficking, and then they go back and lie to dad. And for 20 years, they lived that lie, 20 years. What happened? It was a generational thing. It just kept going down. It kept getting bigger. At any point in time, Reuben could have said, Judah could have said, any, Jacob could have said, I'm not going to do this. I'm stopping it right here. The generational sin is stopping right here and right now. At any point, they could have done that. In fact, who comes after Jacob. One of his sons was Joseph. Joseph, the one who was traded, trafficked. Well, guess what? He put a stake in the ground. He said, it's not happening in my generation. He stops it. We're going to spend a time, in fact, we're going to spend a good part this summer, or excuse me, this fall, studying studying the life of Joseph. It's called break free when you've lived a pattern of generational sins and basically the pains of your past paralyze you in the present, how do you break free from that? And we're going to talk about that. You might know people right now who are stuck in a cycle of brokenness and they can't break free. This is the series for them. You struggle with things in your life that you struggle with all your life and you think, man, I can never get free from that. Break free. Break free. We'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. But lying, deception, it's a transfer from one generation to the next. Number two, lies compound. They build one on top of the other. In fact, you'll have, it's like feeding a monster. You feed them one bite, but they want two bites, and then they get two bites would lead to three bites, and they want more portions, and it's, it's kind of like just compounds, compounds on top of each other. One lie leads into another. Basically, I want to I teach you today, listen to this very carefully in case you soundbite me, I want to teach you how to lie successfully from the life of Jacob, because he's going to lie, and it's going to be believable. How do you do this? How do you tell a lie and it become a believable? Five truths to successfully telling a lie. Number 1, be the lie. You, you got to step into the lie, all right? You got to the lie's got to become a part of you. You got to believe that lie. You got to own that lie. You got to identify and your identity becomes a part of that lie. In that passage of scripture that we were that we we're just looking at uh, literally Rebecca builds out the game plan. this is what we 're going to do. this is what we 're going to do. this is what we're going to do. and then now verse 18, this is what Jacob this is what uh, uh, Jacob does and he went to his father and said, "My father, he said, "Here I am, who are you, my son?" The first question three times, three times Jacob could have gotten it right. Well, four times. He could have said, Mom, this is not right. We should not do this. Second time is, Who are you? He could have said, "Uh, uh, 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 I'm Isaac. I'm Isaac. Just here checking on you. and could have walked away from the lie. But instead, he goes in to the lie. Verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. He takes on the identity of his brother. He takes on the identity, the persona, the posing. He pretends to be somebody he's not and he takes that on and he owns that. See, here's the reality is that whenever we live a life of lies that becomes a two-faced, we call them hypocrites, we call them posers, they're living a life of a lie. But sometimes people just can't help themselves. They're just so sucked into it. In fact, psychologists have phrases like this for the narcissistic people who become pathological liars. It's called extreme cognitive distortions. Think about that. Extreme cognitive distortions. So Whenever you're believing the very lie you're saying, I am Esau. No, you're not. You're Jacob. In fact, he goes on to say, notice this, he said, and now set up and eat my game. He didn't make it. His mama made it in the kitchen but he's claiming it as his own. It's subtle. It's simple. But we start believing our own lies. Number two, the way you tell a successful lie is you bring God into it. The more you can bring God into your lie, the more moral authority you will have with your lie. The more people will believe your lie. I swear to God, this is the truth. I swear on my mother's grave, this is the truth. Poor mother. And poor God. But you'll notice that even Jacob brings God into his life. Verse 20. It says, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Second time he asked him a question. Second chance that he had to pump the brakes, reverse, back up. Oh, no, I I didn't mean. I'm Isaac. He could have corrected, again, second time to get off the interstate and to get on a different path, but he doesn't. He leans in and he brings God into the equation. How would you go out and get that game so quickly? You're not that good of a hunter. But Isaac said, how is it that you found that so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord God granted me success. You got two goats out of the barnyard. You didn't. God didn't. God would not a part of your lie. You're living a lie. The third is you cover up the truth. That's what you do. The one question, I didn't read it earlier, the one question that Jacob had for his mother, Rebecca, was, Mom, you remember Esau? He's hairy. <laughs> Literally, he's hairy. He, he wears a man vest all the time or a man sweater. And... uh He's really hairy, and my, my skin, it's, it's, it's not very hairy. Well, so what they're going to do is they're going to take a goat skin, they're going to put it on him and make it, put it on his neck, put it on his arms, make him feel like, look like, smell like his brother, Esau. He's going to have hairy arms. And so now look at verse 21. So, and Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are Esau or not. So dad is still got questions. Still not quite there yet. Verse 22. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him. He said, the voice of Jacob's, his voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He's starting to believe it. He's starting to believe it. See, the problem is, is that when you cover up, literally they're covering up the truth, He's covering up his arms with a hairy goatskin, When you start covering up the truth, what you do is is you see the lie before you see the truth. And that's maybe all you see. And so therefore, you can literally be sucked into the lie. You could be feeling things, smelling things, sensing things deep inside of you. This is not right. There are some things that are not adding up. But I don't see anything. I don't see a smoking gun. I just see smoke. So I'm just going to I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just here right now. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in those relationships where things weren't, weren't right. You've been in those jobs. Things weren't right. Things weren't lining up. So what do you do? Well, you have to lean in on so many people. How so many times couples have come to me and talked about their marital breakup or their marriage breaking up and find out I didn't know the, my husband, my wife's passwords, They had apps hidden on their phone that I didn't know anything about. Um, Erase the history on your browsers. Uh, Create fake accounts. Live some alias life out there. Live one way at home and another way on the road. All forms of covering up, pretending, posing. Make online purchases that you don't want your spouse to know about so you kind of hide them somewhere else some way so that you don't get found out. You see, this is that part of that cover-up. You just cover it up a little bit, and maybe they won't see it. Maybe we can go on. They didn't ask me. Remember, those forms of lying is, are, are being manifest. Go back to Richard Nixon. Go back to the 1970s. When Richard Nixon and the whole people brought, broke into to Watergate, and, 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 and the whole thing happened, historians coined a phrase that came out of that that said the cover-up was worse than the crime. When you cover it up and you don't deal with it, what if, what if, what if Nixon had said, you know what, what I did he was wrong? American people, what I did he was wrong? Please, forgive, Maybe he would have been impeached. Maybe he would have survived. I don't know. But the point is, is the cover-up can be worse than the crime. Now listen to this number four. The way you tell a successful lie is you double down on the lie. I mean, get serious about it. I had a preaching professor one time said, Mike, if you, he told the whole class this. He says, if you don't know what you're going to say on Sunday, if you don't have a point, if you don't have a truth to share, then just pound harder and yell louder. If you'll pound harder and yell whatever you say, they're going to believe. And he was jokingly when he said that. But that's what we do in our culture today. We, don't believe, we pound harder and yell louder. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember when Bill Clinton stood in the Oval Office behind the sacred seal of the President of the United States, pointed the cameras, pointed at American people, say, I did not have sexual relationships with that woman. And I'm telling you, it was convincing. Some of y'all said, ah, oh, it never was convincing. He's always been a liar. You, you, you go there. It was convincing to me. See, you pound harder and yell louder and people will believe you. Um. You can be a president and call foul on an election and say it was stolen all day long. You can cause riots to happen in sacred buildings of our country, and you can call it a stolen election. Pound harder, yell louder, and people will believe you. Now see, I've offended both parties today. I consider myself an equal offender of parties. But the point is, as you double down on the lie, you just get more of a lie. Verse 23 and verse 24. He says, and he did not recognize him because his hands were not hairy. And Esau said, so blessed." So he, uh, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son? Third time, third question. Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. He got emphatic about it. I am your son. See, double down on your lie, you'll become more believable. Let me read a quote to you. You guess who wrote, who wrote this statement. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. It thus becomes vitally important for the state, organization, or the person or whomever to use all of its powers to, depress, to uh, repress dissent. For truth is the mortal enemy of a lie. You want to kill a lie? Bring truth out. Truth is the mortal enemy of a lie. Thus, by extension, the truth is your greatest enemy. Who said that? A guy by the name of Joseph Goebbels, who was the Nazi propaganda officer. Adolf Hitler's number one advisor. Pound harder, yell louder, and people will believe you. Live the lie. Live it out. Just live it out. Verse 25, he said, then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat my son's game and bless you. Remember, the blessing is the prize. The, the, the blessing is the, is, the, is, the, is the crown jewel. Get to the blessing. I'm going to bless you. And then you see in verse 27, so he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the, the smell of his garments and he blessed him. He lived it out. The third way, the third truth about lying is this, is lies break trust and tear apart relationships. When you lie, however big, white lies, however partial truths, however misinformation, disinformation, whatever you want to call it in this day, a lie is a lie. You've got to realize there will be pain involved. You will be hurting yourself, but you will be hurting others incredibly. Incredibly. You'll either experience the, the, the day of accountability here, there, or in the air. Here is whenever Joseph experienced his day of accountability, his day of reckoning. Look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished uh, blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac. I mean, the Curtains were still swinging in the air. You can still see the footprints in the dust of the land of Isaac, excuse me, of Jacob walking out. And then Esau shows up, and his brother came in from hunting, and he prepared the delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said, "This father or his father, let my father arise and eat the son's game that he may bless me." I mean he was oblivious to the lie. Esau was and his father Isaac said Who are you? He answered I'm the son your firstborn Esau and then Isaac trembled violently He was more than sick at his stomach There was sweat there was shimmering there was Deep down disturbance. He had been lied to by his own blood. He had been stolen from. He had everything that you can imagine was going on, was going on inside this dear old man's heart at this time. But notice a little further down where was Esau? He was livid. Verse 41 it says, and Esau hated Esau. Jacob because of the blessing in which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, and the days of mourning of my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother. That's how he goes. That's the anger that Esau's going through. That's the injustice that's going on. His dad's violently shaking. His brother's ready to kill him. And literally for the next 20 years, Jacob will have to run for his life. And we'll get there in a few weeks. You'll pay for it. You'll be held accountable here. You may be accountable there. There, where's there? There could be at any point in your life. Or maybe after your life. The number of people that I'm hearing more and more, and even recently in the news, of people who die and then the truth comes out, it's so disheartening. I only have time to to go there. It just tears your heart out. And if you escape all of that, there will be a day of reckoning in the air. See, the Bible says, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus' character is true. He will not stand for a lie. He wants to set you free from a lie. The truth will set you. Satan is the father of lies, John says, Jesus is the one who sets us free from lies. That's the contrast. That's the dichotomy of the two. In fact, I want us to read together out loud. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It's going to appear on the screen. Read it with me. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Read it with me. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. I'm not saying that to create some kind of awful fear in you, but it's a respectful fear that lies will not be tolerated and they hurt and they're painful. If you were to take this book and you were to go to the book of Psalms, you say, Micah, 150 Psalms, what's your favorite? I got a lot. I love Psalms. Psalms is one of those I go to on the regular. Any Anytime I can go to the Psalms and be blessed and be challenged and be called out and be encouraged in the Psalms. But if you say, Mike, you only have five of them. You only pull five of them out. I don't know what my other three would be, but I can tell you what my first two would be. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Because see, David lived a lie. He lived a lie that lasted a year. He went on for a year of living this lie of sleeping with Bathsheba, having this child out of wedlock, killing Uriah. I mean, just a whole setup and just one lie after another, one offense living to another offense. And finally, Nathan, his closest advisor, calls him out on it. And he gets real. After a year of running from God, what was that year like? Was he feeling free? I got off. Nobody caught me. I'm good. You know, it's been a year now, and I haven't been found out. My, my, my history hasn't been browsed. The, 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 the lady hasn't come forward. You know, whatever. The, the, the person hasn't, whatever lies been covered up. No, 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 no. It was eating his lunch. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 4, it says this, And when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your strength dried, my my strength dried up. as by the heat of summer. Does that sound like he was living a party? No, he was living in the shame and the guilt of his lies. When he comes clean of those, it goes on in that that passage to say, God delivered me from the weight and the guilt of my sin. What happened? This is verse three and four. Verse 2 says this. It says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Wow, God's not going to beat us down because of our iniquity. No, he's going to actually set you free from your iniquity, from your sin, from your lying, from your deceit. He's going to set you free. He wants to set you free. In whose spirit there is no deceit. I am on the outside what I am on the inside. I am in private what I am in public. I am on Monday what I am on Sunday. There's no deceit. There's complete alignment in my life. So today, we've kind of reversed things, if you noticed, in the worship set. And intentional for a number of reasons, but one of those was to give you space. Because some of you, we're not going to talk about the lies that you've been given. the the deceit that you've experienced, let's talk about the lies that you're living. What lie are you living? What lie are you believing? What lie is your identity? What, What are you passing down to the next generation? Take some space. We're going to have a worship set. I want you to feel free to sit down and write things out, write prayers out, write confessions out, spend some time with you and God and just be sung over. You might make, you know what? I am free from lies. Thank God for that. You might want to stand and sing. You might want to pray for somebody else. This is your space completely. We're not going to rush this time. This is between you. And you might as well be a person who has experienced lies. And the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of that. Father God, set us free. Set us free. In this space, in this time, Lord, speak clearly to us so that we do not miss truth. We stop listening to the lies. Be truth in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.